again, welcome to our latest edition of the Generation Podcast. It's good to have you, whether you're listening to us or whether you've got us just on audio. Personally, I prefer audio, but it's great to have you, whoever you are and wherever you come from. Uh, my guest today is Fiona. Let me just briefly introduce her, Fiona Christie. And what has kind of led to this podcast is that Fiona has just recently written a book, and this is it, A Strange Unmaking, and the subtitle is 10 Years in Colombia. Uh, Fiona will tell us where to get this, but it really is a great read. It's, it's like reading someone's diary and being allowed to do that. It's like a scrapbook of various you know, reflections, memories, poems, insights, pictures, uh, it's not straight prose, it's not straight poetry, it really does have everything. It's an easy read, a couple of hours on a Friday night, and you'll get through this, and you'll enjoy it. Fiona, welcome! Thank you very much, thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Can you tell the folk just a little bit about yourself? I know that you're a, a third culture kid, whatever that is, but tell us your story, where you were brought up. Well, I'm a third culture kid because I grew up in a culture different from my parents, I was born in Peru. My parents were free church missionaries there and I lived there until I was eight and then came back to the UK. Um, I've trained as a teacher. I taught for a few years. I've taught English in different countries in Germany and in Moldova and then back in in Edinburgh. And then in uh, 2008, I went to Colombia to teach in the Bible seminary there, uh, which I did for a couple of years. Yeah. Okay, I mean, you left Peru when you were eight. I have very few memories of up to eight years of age. What's your experience? Uh, well, I, I have lots of very vivid memories. Um, actually, little scenes, little snapshots. Sometimes I, I quiz my parents and they don't remember things that are very vivid to me. The landscape, travelling out on, on these hairpin bends, um, people... Uh, flavours, uh, so much so that 30 years afterwards I, I tasted something in Colombia that was the same as a Peruvian taste and I remembered what it was and remembered the word for it. Uh, so yeah, um, I think it was it was a very vivid time. I was, believe it or not, a little blonde, blue-eyed child and um, stood out and so, you know, that had brought its own interest uh, and challenges. Yeah. yeah. Were you were you bilingual then? I was. Yeah, I was. I grew up speaking Spanish. I went to um, a local school briefly, and I spoke uh, just the Spanish that a child in that that time spoke. Yeah, I forgot it. There is an interesting thing. I I came back when I was nearly eight and to Scotland with a, a little English accent because my playmates had been English, some of them, and started school in Edinburgh, ditched my English accent and forgot my Spanish and had to learn it again much later. Right. Was that, was that a relearning process? Did it absolutely go or were there some latent elements still there? I think there was something there. I mean, I did had to, I had to learn. I had to learn the verbs. I had to learn the vocabulary, but um, I have a, a quite a nice accent. I have an accent that Colombians would sometimes identify as being from the south of the country 
which is odd. And then I went to, back to Peru and uh, discovered that that was how they spoke in, in Cajamarca, the town I grew up in. So there's something there that's that stayed. Yeah, I feel for it maybe. And I feel for languages, which I've, I've always had. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, mum and dad were missionaries, first of all, in Peru. I mean, obviously, when you were growing up, they, they ended their career in South Africa. Was kind of mission, global mission, the family business? Uh, I mean, in the culture you grew up in, was it something that was really a big value? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, things that I took for granted, like missionary books, um, just always shelfuls of them, children's missionary books, the Jungle Doctor books, and um, just uh, missionary stories and missionaries to visit, you know, very vivid memories uh, of of missionaries coming uh, to speak at a, a meeting, perhaps in, in my dad's church, and getting to know them. So it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a sort of something in the forefront, but it was just very much there. We're interested in the world. We're part of the world. Uh, you know, we, we know that mission's a good thing. Um and it and associated with me with stories, you know, just with just different, exciting other worlds, I think, as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay, so you've lived in Germany, you've lived in Moldova, Colombia. Are you internationalist? Yeah, I would think so. I hope so, very much so. Um I love Scotland, I feel connected here. Um I love Edinburgh. I love my Highland connections through my mum. But there's something, I always feel this sort of excitement, stepping on a plane, <laughs> if I'll ever do that again. You know, just that somewhere new, a new place. I, I, and just the the sort of challenge and excitement of meeting somebody with a different culture and a different, a different language, you know, sort of struggling to make oneself understood. I, I like all that. I do. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the book itself, and a quick uh, flash of the cover. Tell us a, a little bit about your story. What made you go to Colombia? I went to Colombia, first of all, on holiday to visit friends. Um, I'd got to know the Reanos, who many of you will know, um, Manuel and Patti and the children, when they studied in Edinburgh in the 90s and stayed in touch with them. And they said for years, oh, come to Colombia. It's um, it's not as dangerous as you think. And uh, I'd always just had it there, but it was a series of things. One was seeing a film about South America, The Motorcycle Diaries, uh, which is uh, doesn't actually mention Colombia, but uh, is just the sweep of this beautiful continent. And I suddenly, ha having not been back since I was a child, felt this pang of, oh, yeah, I have to go back. Um, a, a pastor from Egypt who talked about stepping out in faith to do something you were afraid of, and I realised I was afraid of going to Colombia. So it all came together. I had the money, I had the time. So I went on holiday to, to visit and had a wonderful, wonderful three weeks but from that came the invitation to go and teach in the seminary. And so that just had its okay, own... Okay, where was that? that in Medellin? What that was seminary Medellin, was it? Yeah, the Bible seminary in Medellin. At that time, Manuel was the, the rector of it. And they needed an English programme uh, to satisfy the government's requirements for programmes. And uh, 
And so I, that's what I was doing at the time. I was teaching English. So it all came together and I went in 2008. Yeah. Okay. Talk about Latin America. Can we talk about Latin America as a whole or is it just, I guess, a little bit like Europe? Um, each element has got different characteristics. I think I think it's... I, be interested to hear what Latin Americans think but I would say that you probably can talk about Latin America a little bit more uh, broadly than you you can about Europe and it's because of the the indigenous experience the the experience of colonization and then of liberation and that's every country in Latin America will have had that process in some form um so so yeah Latin America is this this mix of, of cultures, the Spanish-Portuguese cultures, the local indigenous cultures, and the Afro-culture then of, of the people that were brought from Africa as slaves. And that all just mixes in this, this great cultural melting pot of, of music and languages and, uh, um, yeah, just uh, ways of being. So, yeah, an amazing place. Yeah, okay. Whenever folks think of Colombia, they think of of drugs, they think of violence, they think of, you know, poverty. You you write in the book about internal displacement. Um, is that a fair analysis of Colombia? It's not a fair analysis of Colombia. It is what people think of it. Uh, but... Disabuse them then. Disabuse okay, them. Okay, yeah, that's really what I often wanted to do in my meetings. I would, uh, I would uh, get people to throw out some words that they associate with Colombia, and they're just what you've said, and they're they're all true. That's the thing. It's a violent society. It does produce drugs. Um, there have been, you know, these great drug wars and the cartels and everything. That's all part of its history. But there's this other reality, which is of the. Um, the culture, the countryside, it's beautiful, it's green, it's lush, it's every kind of flower, every kind of uh, uh, fruit. The people are warm and they've found this way of living with their with their reality that's resilient, that's joyful, that sort of sees the day. Um, so it's it's just so unfair, that was my feeling. It's just so unfair that it's, it's stigmatised by these one or two things uh, which have a big impact, which are real, but they're not the whole story. It's, there's this other story, which is if you can go there, you, you realise it's, it's quite a different place. It's, it's beautiful, it's, uh, it's fun, it's dynamic, it's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing place. I mean, you are a gringo, self-evidently. Um, what, how accepting are Colombians of Europeans, white Europeans? Well, um, you say that, but I actually fitted quite Ill, quite well into my city because it's one of the more Spanish cities. Um, and I usually got away with it until I spoke. And then were people were like, aha, <laughs> you're not from around here, are you? I would say my experience, and I think this is a common experience, uh, in general, Colombians are thrilled to have foreigners. They had such international isolation in the worst of times, you know, in the 80s and 90s, perhaps where it was really difficult to visit, that if you went, they were just they were just delighted. And I had maybe one or two little experiences where, you know, it was like a bit uncomfortable. But in general, taxi drivers and and just people out and about were were really delighted and uh, 
very very kind and, and interested in in the fact that I was there at all and proud you know proud of their cities and proud of their country and and happy that I was there to to see it yeah okay so you were teaching in the seminary you moved on to another ministry tell us about that yeah so I did two years in the seminary got the English program set up and then went on to work for a, a project called Vive which uh his main aim was to to train churches to minister to children, to disciple the children in their communities. So I started there in 2011. It had been going on for a few years before that. And it it works with um, denominations to uh, go to mainly rural areas of the north of Colombia that have been quite affected by violence, where there's a lot of internal displacement, uh, which you mentioned um, the this process where people have been pushed off their farms, perhaps to to live in in towns and villages, uh, where there's a lot of of poverty, and the church is there. The church has already been planted; it's been there for 30, 40 years, uh, and we came alongside them to help them run programs for children. And I was involved in the curriculum. So one of the things we did was to to produce a Bible curriculum for the clubs that is now being sold to schools and more more widely. And I was involved in the the development of that. Yes, yeah, so you, you're based in Medellin, is that correct? You were writing yeah. curriculum, but yeah. from time to time you went out to the villages to kind of help them deliver it, or why would you go out there? Uh, we went to train, that was really why we would go. So based in the city and travelling out to run camps for the leaders, training events, training in uh, prevention of abuse, training in writing curricula, um, yeah, so uh, visits to the coast, oh, oh, maybe 10 times a year, yeah, to, to do various various things. Mm-hmm. Um, a big thing in mission just now is indigenization. you know, it's a huge value. Um, how did you kind of work that out in a sense that, to what extent were you helping and was there ever a point when you said, I've got to pull away from here. I've got to let the Colombians do their thing. Yeah, I think our our little project, which is a tiny little uh, little story, is quite a good example of that because it was founded by an English missionary, a Latin link missionary, who um, was sent to actually to teach in the seminary initially, but saw the need, got had the vision, and he set it up. Um, he. Uh, identified a very young student. I mean, he must have been 16 or 17 at the time, um, called Leo Ramirez, who was studying at the seminary, had a a call to the Ministry of Children and um, worked with him, mentored him. And then one or two of us came along with particular skills. So I knew a little bit about design of curriculum, had the Spanish um, and I got it started, and there was a, there was a, a key moment where a local person was identified who uh, was much better than me. She was a graduate of the seminary. She was Colombian. She could write beautiful Spanish. She had children, uh, and she, her, my role went went to her. I mean, it was very painful for me. I mean, I'll say it because that was like my baby. Um, but it was it was the moment. It was it was a natural transition, and and then I I worked for Leo, so he was my boss. I I mean he laughed when I did this, but I asked him permission for my 
to, to have my holidays and that sort of thing. Um, and and he's he's now the executive director. I still have a tiny role there on a, a sort of oversight committee that meets once a year, but it's it's running. Um, yeah, by being done by, by local people because they're they're so much more in touch with the culture. But I think that that moment at the beginning where we were a team and sometimes we did short term things with teams of Swiss and North Americans and English and Scots and Colombians all together, there was something very special about that uh, as well. And and there was a sort of richness and there was an exchange of ideas and a, a sort of a growth together. That was worthwhile as well. And the role I have now is to, you know, I speak up for, for VV when I can. I still amazingly still get opportunities to, to speak to meetings. I My church has got completely behind it. So now I'm this, this sort of ambassador for VV in Scotland. And that's that's the role I see myself having. But yeah, I think this, this idea that, if, you, you know, you... In fact, Latin Link was very good and strong on this, is you're looking for local people, who's got the gifts, who's got the calling, what can you invest there and then move on? And it might be move on to something else locally, or it might be, in my case, it was, that's it, you've, you know, you've done your 10 years, it's time to, to go back to Scotland. So, yeah, I think that's that's definitely the model, yeah. Let me talk a little bit about church in Colombia. I mean, my experience again of Latin American Christianity is that uh, in worship there's there's a vibrancy, you know, that really does rock a lot more. Now, you, your background was, you know, Presbyterian. Your church exposure uh, also was kind of low church Episcopalian. That's your kind of two main church influences so so to come from these two fairly sedate environments <laughs> into you know latin american christianity was, was that a culture shock for you well i hadn't gone straight there of course so i had had uh, experiences of other kinds of worship um and other uh church traditions in moldova the the team really was from a charismatic background um so I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a culture shock, but I did struggle to find my place. I will say that, and it's uh, perhaps not surprising that the first place I found a little home was um, a Lutheran church, a very atypical, very uh, liturgical, very quiet, peaceful uh, church that met in the in the seminary that I went along to. Then I realised I needed to get out. I was just a little bit enclosed in the seminary because I lived there, my friends were there, I worked there. And I, I started looking for churches and I ended up in a Presbyterian church. However, it's not necessarily a Presbyterian church, uh, you know, in, in some of its aspects, in the way we might recognise it. Um, and and so, yeah, some, I mean, sometimes I found the worship loud and long and I struggled with that. Yeah, I definitely. Um, but uh, they were very... What I liked about them and what was unusual was that they were very they were very old. In fact, the, it was the oldest the Protestant church in, in Medellin um, from the 19th century, unusually old. And they had a very strong sense of where they came from and their connection to global Presbyterianism and uh, the Reformation and things that are, are unusual. Uh, if you think just how much growth there's been in, in Latin America in the church, many, many churches are a year old. Or 10 years or 20 years old so to have you know and that's 
amazing. That's it's vibrant. It's there's the expectation that people are going to come to faith every Sunday. You know, you can open uh, a little garage, put twenty chairs out, and have your church. <laughs> you know, it's it's a, a way of thinking about church that is is quite different, perhaps from most of our experiences. Um, but but I actually found a home and a really uh, loving place. And uh, what I discovered after I had settled there was that they were all from the coast. They were all displaced. Many, many of them were people that had been displaced by violence on the coast and had come to the city and settled in the Presbyterian Church because that was their church background. Very like Highlanders who ended up in Gaelic-speaking churches in the in the lowlands. Very interesting parallel there. And so I actually traveled with my work to some of the towns and villages they were from and they loved that they loved that sense of connection with uh with my work so that's where I ended up yeah let's talk a bit about terminology you know in the Colombian or broader Latin American context the word evangelical often has political overtones um you know folk associated with the kind of prosperity gospel uh, it's sometimes a, a negative word. How did you find that? Would you be happier with the term Anglican, Presbyterian, or are you comfortable with the evangelical label? An interesting thing in Colombia is that you can t- you talk about evangelicals as Cristianos, and obviously that. We wouldn't perhaps do that in, in English, Christians, but that was how it was understood. So you would talk about Catholicos, the Catholic majority, and Christianos. Um, evangelical wasn't associated with politics so strongly because the evangelical church was smaller relative to the, the population than perhaps other countries like some in Central America and Peru, Chile, maybe. Um but that it's changed. It has changed. That um, there was a sort of key moment um, a few years ago where the evangelical church realised it had power. It could get people together en masse to, to campaign for things, and it has um, it has become um, a much more perhaps politically aware movement. I would say. Um, it has some very negative con- connotations, unfortunately. Um, I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't use Presbyterian or Anglican or anything like that because they were just so poorly understood and so little known. I might, I might emphasize uh, that I was a follower of Jesus. I might, you know, try and bring. Yeah, I would be a little bit cautious about labels, just because you might, you know, you might get a reaction. Uh, you know, somebody might say. Or aren't the evangelicals the ones that are doing X, Y, or Z? <laughs> and you'd have to then sort of talk about the Bible and get back to some core things. So, yeah, it's tricky. It is tricky. Yeah. yeah. Let's unpack the title of your book, A Strange Unmaking. Tell me about that. Yeah, so that came from something I wrote a few months after I uh, went to Colombia. So I went, um, I was in my late 30s. I gave up a job at Edinburgh University. Um, I had quite a good sense of myself, if I'm honest. I thought, you know, I kind of knew what I was going to do. And I thought, you know, I had a you know, good church background. <laughs> I don't know what I was trusting in really, but I went and immediately struggled emotionally. I just felt 
I just couldn't find my way. I just didn't know how to make friends. I um, I was hearing, because I spoke Spanish from, from the beginning, I was able to have conversations with people who were telling me the most awful stories about violence that their family members had suffered or something. And I just was overwhelmed and I and I couldn't make sense of it at all. Um, and so I wrote this little reflection um, called A Stranger Making because I, fe- I felt I was falling apart. I felt like I was being, I just had no centre. I was, I was just floundering. I felt like, I think I write something about the ocean waves, you know, flattening me. And so that that idea, um, and then the idea of being put back together, which God really did um, in an amazing way through a, a wonderful former missionary who came and, and just helped me understand a lot of the things that had happened. Um, that really sums up my experience of Colombia. I was, I just, uh, I struggled, I suffered. I, it was, some of it was what is called vicarious trauma, where you take on people's trauma um, and, I, yeah, everything, I questioned everything. I questioned why I was there. I questioned my faith. You know, I was really, I, I, I struggled. And yet that was what God used to to bring me back together. So, and, and you know, to eventually, yeah, I could, you know, I, I was able to go back for longer and have the time I had there. So uh, I um, had a blog. A lot of the pieces in the uh, book started life as, as blog articles, uh, blog pieces. And... Uh, I thought, what what am I going to call it? And I called it a strange unmaking. And I had the head, the sort of visual of it was a mosaic around the corner from the seminary. Somebody had bashed up some crockery and made a a little mosaic, and that was the sort of image because that was God had made something out of the pieces was the idea. So that's where the title comes from. And I I love the cover. I was looking for something particular, and so here's the zebra that started life presumably black and white, and then had this incredible makeover. And is now um, all these beautiful vivid colours. So uh, when I saw this, I thought, yeah, this is the image I want for my book because that's really, you know, the the experience I had of being a, a sort of painful transformation, a p- painful and surprising transformation. I would say. Loving the product placement there, the <laughs> blatant pushing of your book at yeah, one show or something. You'd make me happy. So there you are, you're, you're a young professional working in, in Edinburgh. Um, it just doesn't make sense to give all that up. But yet, it's not all about sense, is it, Fiona? Well, that's right. I mean, it's uh, my whole life has been like that. You know, I've... It didn't make any. None of it has made any sense until I look back at it, and then, then you could, then I can see each bit kind of fitted, you know, prepared me in some way for the next bit. Um, and so the the job I had at Edinburgh University, um, I learned that was my first probably big experience of cross cultural work because I worked with um, teachers from Egypt. So. Uh, you know, nothing to do with Latin America, but it was that whole cultural engagement that I uh, enjoyed so much. Um, yeah, it, so um, it 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 made no sense professionally. It it just cut. You know, there was just no way back to academia after after walking away from the job that I had. Um, 
Yeah, I was maybe a little bit reckless. I don't know. I I didn't at the time. I, I didn't know it was how long term it was going to be. You know, my first commitment was for two years, and it wasn't necessarily going to be longer at that stage. So maybe I did. You know, I hadn't quite burnt my bridges. Um, yeah, and then of course, you know, the ten years go by, and you have to think, well, what's next? Uh, and uh, you know, God has something already set up for the you know for the next step. So. It's not. It's actually not as risky as it sounds. <laughs> yeah, I f- I find identity an extremely interesting subject, and where we get our identity from. I mean, you a lot of the folk here, the Generation Podcast, produced by the Free Church of Scotland. You know, it's for a small denomination. You know, everybody knows your. Your, your father, uh, I'm even old enough to have known your grandfather, your family in Plotkin, you know, we're just such a, a small tribe. Um, how important for you was it to just, number one, I, I guess, appreciate, you know, that heritage and, and all these things, but also in terms of, of your travels and your life experience to step outside that and look in? Yeah, um, I uh, appreciate hugely uh, my background and um, the support that I, I got from the Free Church, even even once I'd, I'd left. Um, but I also have appreciated uh, the the just the thing meeting with with people who, who love Jesus but who see many things quite differently or have different uh yeah different views of the world different practices um and then I think what that does is it just makes you um really consider what's what you actually believe you know what is actually what you you know your your beliefs and and not just you know what you've always been taught so that that's that's very uh a very good exercise and when you have to go through I think to to sort of live in the world um and and then and and also to find a way of of cooperating with people uh who you might disagree with on on minor things um so I think distance the distance the looking from the outside in you get you you appreciate actually you know you think oh those things were great uh and then you and you can you can get some distance and say well those things um uh, you know, you might be critiqued on, on some level. So you, you just get this, you get this distance, which I think is helpful. Same for culture as well. You know, you go for, away from Scotland and you realise we do things a certain way and you critique that. So I think that moving in and out is is good. And it's unsettling and that's that's where the growth comes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the theme that runs through the book. It's unsettling, and that's where the growth comes in. Um, if there was one line that summarised your book, uh, it would be that. I'll, I'll, I mean, there's so many things in the book. I described it as a little bit of a scrapbook um, with this and that and the other. Is that a fair description? How, how would you describe it? I think so. I think that's good. A kaleidoscope or a mosaic, you know, my that image um it's yeah it's it's a collection it's a, an anthology I don't know it's it's just everything I thought of the lots that I wrote might be worth sharing uh, collected in a, in inside covers with a little bit of a 
a narrative just to make some sort of sense. You know, if you don't know me at all, you know, it does have a, a little bit of a beginning and an end, just so you know where you're at. But, yeah, no, it's very random. Sometimes it might be a poem, it might be a list of um, things I did on the coast or things I saw, or it might be um, a short story or um, just some a prayer. Yeah, what I love, uh, because I'm nosy, I, and, and I think you're nosy as well, because that comes across in the book, overhearing conversations uh, in Colombia and, you know, Buchanan Street bus station of all places. So I, I love these little snippets. Yeah, I love that. I mean, life is just uh, so rich. And that's actually what's so hard about what we're living through is that, you know, the just the natural places where you could have little chats or over here or see things, you know, we're just so limited now. But Columbia was just so rich for that. And, and then, you, you know, you, I got into the way of that. I was just like, my eyes were open, my ears were open all the time for something fun to to share. And that becomes quite a nice way of, of living, you know, just that sort of curiosity. <laughs> yes, that's the word that came to me. I think you're naturally curious because these little phrases that you maybe overhear or you see, you, you reflect them and, and you unpack them. Um, so it's really very worthwhile. Did you enjoy writing it or publishing it? Well, uh, yeah, I did. I did. It was it was therapeutic. It was... Um, I started work thinking about it maybe six months after I came back from Columbia in 2018 um, and started looking through the blogs and through my diaries and everything. And and what it, I just thought, oh, wow. So I might have thought, well, actually, it was quite a tough time. It was a hard time. It was hard. Uh, I don't mind saying that. Uh, but then I realised it was so rich as well. And that's what it did for me. So for me, it was just like, it was, it was very healing. Um, and then... Then actually it was lockdown number one. I just thought, well, now if you don't get your book done in this time, you're never going to do it. And so that's that was the that prodded me into action. And then, you know, there's something as well about putting it out there. It now exists as an artifact in the world, a bit of my contribution to culture, <laughs> a bit pretentious maybe, but just something, you know, that that's out there. So I now have a distance from it. And that's what I need because, you know, I've, the rest of my life to lead. I can't. It can't all be about Colombia. Uh, so, and now, now I have the pleasure of people saying things like, "I like the bit about the eavesdropping," or "I love this little prayer," or you know, and and that is is just incredibly great. Or somebody saying, you know, this this piece really. I'm going through something, and this this is what ministered to me. It's like, wow, you know, God's actually actually using it, and then then it becomes a whole other thing, and it's it's very very satisfying. Thanks for giving us time today, Fiona. Um, how can folk get the book? Well, it's available as an ebook and as a paperback on Amazon. So you just need to go and Google my full name or A Stranger Making and you should find it there. Now, there may be people who are boycotting Amazon and in that case, they can perhaps try and get in touch with me through uh, Facebook or Twitter. You might find me there. And we might be able to come to some sort of arrangement. <laughs> so <laughs> you are, on Amazon, yeah. you know, it is possible to get the book. So again, just to remind you, <laughs> uh, Strange Unmaking <laughs> by Fiona Lynn Christie. Google it.
and you will find Fiona. I'm sure she's out there in cyberspace. Thank you, Fiona, so much for uh, joining us today. Um, thank you also to our viewers and to our listeners. Please speak well of Generation Podcast. Tell your friends about it. Um, enjoy listening to it as you jog, as you walk, as you cycle, as you drive. We are here to serve you, inform you by just talking to folk that you may not normally have heard of, may not perhaps normally have spoken. Fiona, once again, thank you for being one of these people. Thank you, David. Thank you.